First of all, I'd like to thank Carl for joining us. Welcome, Carl. And I'd also like to thank Russo CME for providing CE credits for this. If you haven't heard of Russo CME, they provide live CME, also online CME, and they're the ones that are helping us with the credits. So thank, thank them, um, support them when we, when we open, open back up and can go see them uh, to their seminars. Speaking of that, so, you know, this is, you know, obviously I, I miss all you guys and, you know, um, one of the things that I love doing is going out and sharing my passion with, with like-minded people and uh, haven't been able to do that. So um, our idea was that we could kind of spread the word and kind of connect with, with y'all um, through, through some virtual um, meetings. So I appreciate you um, logging in and um, listening and hopefully you guys will learn something. And as always, we like comments. There'll be an evaluation afterwards. This is something we would really like to hear your feedback. We'd also like to hear future topics. This is something that uh, we might start doing every month. So um, please suggest future topics you'd like to hear, um, and we will we will listen. We will definitely read those comments. So let's go ahead and get started. So bioidentical hormone replacement 101. Um, this is a three-day seminar packed into one hour so I'm gonna go pretty quick I'm, I'm gonna try to hit some bullet points on some slides and just some little ideas instead of just reading over the slides because um, you, you guys will have the slides I'm not sure if they got emailed to you or not but you can definitely have a copy of the slides um, later on so let's go ahead and move to the slide to the next slide um, so I do own a compound pharmacy, and Carl, who is with us, is an ARMP and owns an integrative clinic in East Wenatchee. So the objectives for this is what is a hormone and where are they produced? So let's just go ahead and describe what a hormone is. I know hormone is such a broad category, and unfortunately, there's a lot of ignorance about it, and there's a lot of misinformation, um, but, you know, and, and a lot of hormones get lumped into one category. And, but a hormone is literally anything that stimulates actions into, into, actions into cells. Um, literally what it means in Greek, hormone literally means set in motion. So uh, for instance, yes, we have sex hormones, estradiol, testosterone, and that's what we're gonna be talking about today a lot of. We'll talk about thyroid hormone also. Obviously those are two different animals. And you know, adrenaline or epinephrine, that's also a hormone. So we can't lump all hormones into one category. Uh, I, I always wanna make that clear. Uh, they are very specific and even in each individual subcategory of sex hormones or whatnot, there are um, big differences. So we are gonna go into that. Um, what are the symptoms of hormone deficiency? Um, mostly we're gonna be t um, speaking about thyroid and sex hormones. Um, how to recognize hormone-related disease, hormone-related disease, and um, overcome it. What common medications can be replaced by proper hormone balancing? I love this one because there are so many medications we prescribe today in traditional healthcare that might not be needed if there was proper hormone balancing. And the big one we'll get to at the end when we go into case studies is how long should you continue hormone replacement? All right. Next slide, Lindsay. All right, this is kind of just a little graphic of a horse and a human. And of course the human is holding human estrogen and gonna inject the horse and the horse doesn't want to. It's kind of a little joke, but I am pretty passionate about this one. That obviously is a reference to Premarin and I used to not like picking on Premarin and I used to be a little bit politically correct about it, but Premarin is literally horse pee, literally. Look it up yourself, don't trust me. Premarin stands for pregnant mare's urine. Um, I believe that in today's medical system, if we are prescribing Premarin, it is analogous to prescribing beef and pork insulin. We don't prescribe beef and pork insulin anymore, do we? Why don't we? Because we have human insulin. So I believe if 
I believe we should not be using Premarin because we have a lot better options. When it first came out, we didn't have any other options. Yes, maybe, but we have a lot of other options now. Go ahead. Um, so, synthetic versus natural versus bioidentical. I talk about this every day to my patients and sometimes even providers. Um, synthetic gets a bad rap, okay? Um, and natural, natural is, you know, patients will call and they'll, they'll say, well, I want something natural. Is Premer natural? Absolutely, Premer is natural. It comes from horse pee. It's natural. That doesn't mean it's bioidentical. That doesn't mean it's natural to our bodies as humans. There are at least... 19 different estrogens in Premarin. Um, two of them are natural to our bodies, estradiol and estrone. It's, it's standardized to a specific ratio of that. Um, and by the way, there is no generic Premarin and there never will be. And the reason why is because we don't know all what's in it, okay? So, but it is natural, um, but it's not bioidentical. So what is bioidentical? Bioidentical, bio meaning life, identical to what's in our bodies. Um, and just because something is synthetic doesn't mean it's not bioidentical. Thyroid is a perfect example. Levothyroxine. Levothyroxine is T, also known as T4. It is literally L-tyrosine and iodine, four iodine molecules. It's a simple, simple, simple molecule to make. It is synthesized in a laboratory to be a bioidentical, identical copy to what's in our body. Um, but some patients have a hard time understanding that, that it's not natural. Just because it's synthetic does not mean it's not bioidentical. Go ahead. So here's some bioidentical hormones. I commonly, when I talk to doctors who aren't doctors or, or practitioners that are not educated on, on hormones in general or bioidentical hormones, they'll say, well, I don't prescribe bioidentical hormones. I, I, you know, I don't believe in them. Well, if you look at those first six, estrone, estradiol, estriol, progesterone, testosterone, and now DHEA, those are all bioidentical hormones that are in an FDA-approved product. So I always ask like, oh, so you don't prescribe estrace or estradiol? Well, yeah, I do. Okay, well, that's a bioidentical hormone. So just because it's it's commercially available does not mean it's not bioidentical. Um, there's, there's a lot of examples um, for testosterone and estrogens and progesterone for that matter. So um, we'll go into those hormones specifically in detail later. So bioidentical estrogens, I will tell you, I, I am guilty and I'll probably be guilty of it in this presentation to lump all estrogens into one category, but all estrogens are created differently. There are three of them in our bodies, whether you're male or female, estrone, E1, the O-N-E, if you want to remember E1, E2, and E3, O-N-E, one for E1, estradiol, E2, di, and estriol, E3. So when you look at the bioidentical estrogens, um, here's the kind of what the human makeup is. Now there's a lot of variants here, so realize that. But when Jonathan Wright, Jonathan Wright at Tahoma Clinic in um, Western Washington, he's actually the one that really came up with the formula triest and biased because he was measure, measuring estriol levels. He was mostly measuring it in urine, um, and in urine it is a little bit higher than it is possibly in serum levels. So we look for a 50-50 ratio of estradiol-estriol. Um, if you look at the original one, it was triest, and what we found is estrone is actually a storage hormone of estrogen, and most women don't need extra estrone because they already have enough of it. So normally we go with the biased, bi meaning two, tri obviously meaning three, and um, a 50-50 ratio seems to be pretty good to um, um, help with most estrogen deficient symptoms and also get the estriol in there. So here again, just a short, just a, a quick video reminder. There's there's the makeup of Premarin, but again, we don't know all what's in it, so that's why there'll never be a generic of it. What does estrogen do? Functions of estrogen. So it's responsible for um, growth and development of female sex or organs. That's pretty obvious. Um, the one I really want to focus on is promote proliferation and growth of specific cells in the body. What I like to do is an analogy of estrogen, especially estradiol. There again, I just talked about it in general, but when you think of estradiol, think of estradiol as 
proliferating cells. Think of it as fertilizer on the lawn. Let's use uterine tissue and lawn tissue as an analogy and lawn and, and grass as an analogy. Um, estradiol stimulates the, the uh, is like fertilizer. It stimulates the lawn to grow, okay? And if we have too much growth, we can have problems. That's one of the reasons why after Premarin was on the market for about 10 years, they realized there was an incident, an increased incidence of uterine cancer. And that's where um, we knew about progesterone and medroxyprogesterone acetate, which I will go into a little bit later. But think of estrogen, estradiol specifically as a fertilizer. Estrogen, we know, protects against bone loss, protects against heart disease. Yeah, the WHI study showed that there was an increased risk of cardiovascular accidents back in 2002. What did it show? It showed that with Premarin and medroxyprogesterone acetate, which that's all we can take away from there. And it also said it with Premarin. It didn't say anything about progesterone. We will talk about that a little bit later. Provide maintenance of anti-aging mechanisms. Collagen, we know, for instance, to decrease wrinkles in our skin, estrogen will um, help build collagen to decrease wrinkles in our skin. That's just one of the anti-aging mechanisms. So benefits of estrogen replacement therapy. Um, this is what I would like Carl to jump in at. At Carl, what do you? What's the number one chief complaint of women that are seeking um, hormone replacement in your office? What is what is their chief complaint? Oh, chief complaint uh, typically, and, and welcome to everyone. And again, you know your audience much better than I do. It sounds like some folks are already maybe clinically doing some of this in their practice, uh, but the chief complaint is the hot flashes. Uh, and and fatigue, the weight gain, those those are huge things right there. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. That's what we see when when we get calls at our pharmacy. Hot flashes is usually the the number one thing that we see as a chief complaint. So, but look at the other things. It's more than just symptomatic relief of hot flashes. Um, reduced risk of heart disease, improved lipid profile. That's how it decreases heart disease. It raises HDL. It is a fact that estradiol increases HDL. Osteoporosis. We talked about memory disorders. We know that decrease. Um, Estrogen has been increased uh, in dementia is increased in, in, in women that have lack of estrogen. Um, skin health, we talked about bladder tone. I really want to hit on that. Um, estrogen is so, so important for bladder issues. Urinary incontinence, how many women are on chronic medications for urinary incontinence? And it's not because they lack oxybutynine. It's because they lack estrogen. So there's just some other other symptoms. I'm not going to go into it. I want to go through these slides fast so we can kind of focus on some some case studies. S-trial, I do want to talk about S-trial. S-trial is the least potent of the three estrogens we talked about. It is 80 times less potent at the estrogen receptor than estradiol. So it is more potent on the, the beta receptor of, of the estrogen receptor, which actually decreases stimulation of breast tissue. That's why I really like estriol. It kind of in some ways blocks the effects of estradiol to increase stimulation. Remember, when we think of estrogen, let's think of fertilizer. Also, that has the same thing to do with in, in uterine tissue like it does in breast tissue. So estradiol increases proliferation of breast tissue. So that's why I think that estriol is important and also progesterone, we'll get into that later. The nice thing about uh, estriol, one of the great things is it is, is great for vaginal tissue, kind of specific for vaginal tissue in some ways, but it does work in other ways in the body. It is great for a lot of local vaginal type symptoms. So I'm going to go into the dosing quick biased. Um, so a common dose of bias would be E3.5 milligram, E2 one milligram. I like an SR capsule. When you think about how our bodies make estrogen or make most hormones for that matter, they don't make them all at one time in the morning or all at one time at night. So I like to um, dose it with an SR capsule so they get a slow release of it throughout the day. Also topically, I like bias topically. Um, not it is it, hormones are absorbed as are most drugs vaginally. It's the mucous membrane. It's got great blood flow. It bypasses first pass, so they are absorbed great vaginally. And any woman with any kind of local vaginal type symptoms, I like the bias to use vaginally. Um, we could always use just an S trial cream separately if we want if we want to do oral dosing. But I like it for systemic and local effects. Progesterone. Progesterone is, a, is the oldest known sex hormone. It's present in men and women in every cell in the body. 
um, secreted by the corpus luteum uh, when, when they're pregnant, it acts on, I like to say this because it acts on uterus, brain, smooth muscle, kidneys, bones, and cellular membranes. Why do I say that? Because in pharmacy school, and this is what a lot of doctors are taught in medical school, and this is what drug reps that sell estrogen will go out and talk to doctors about. So the Premarin rep will say, well, you don't need any kind of progesterone if you don't have a uterus. And that to me doesn't make a lot of sense because that would be, is progesterone like a magic hormone and it only works in the uterus? Because I've never heard of another hormone like that. So it's important to realize that progesterone works in other tissues in the body and you, you need it regardless if you have a uterus or not. So um, we'll go into the hormone cascade a little bit later. I wish it was as simple as that you could just give progesterone and you know all the other hormones would come into balance but they don't but progesterone is metabolized to other hormones i like to show this slide and the reason i like to show it because after the increase of uterine cancer with premarin back in the 40s and then in the 50s they realize okay increase your risk of uterine cancer we need to make something like progesterone progesterone decreases proliferation of uterine tissue it also decreases proliferation of breast tissue it kind of negates the effects of estradiol it makes complete sense um, our bodies make it together um, i believe they should be taken together regardless if you have a uterus or not so and the scientists knew it's like okay progesterone does that action but we can't patent progesterone because it's a natural substance. So let's make something close to it. So progesterone, they came up with medroxyprogesterone acetate, also known as Provera. So that is the pro in Prem Pro, medroxyprogesterone acetate. Here's the bingo light when I talk to people about how different they are. Remember, small differences in a molecule can make huge implications in the body. What does progesterone mean? progest progestation okay it helps to support it helps to support gestation without it a woman cannot get pregnant and without it a woman cannot stay pregnant what do we use medroxyprogesterone acetate for depoprovera is used as birth control so again they are not created equal small changes in the molecule make a huge difference in the body you will see it in many different studies you will see it in my goodman gilman pharmacology book which is wrong it will lump progesterone and medroxyprogesterone acetate in the same category you will see studies that will say progesterone uh, not effective to decrease heart heart attack risk and then you start reading it and it's medroxyprogesterone acetate completely two different molecules. You cannot compare them. When I see that in a study, it's discredited right away. It's easy to pick apart though. So if there's one thing you can remember from this presentation, that's what I recommend you remember is that medroxyprogesterone acetate does not equal progesterone. Sean, I'll just second that. Please, yes. You want to add anything else about progesterone yet? I have another slide for you too, Carl, coming up. No, that's fine. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So this is the hormone cascade, and there at the top is that nasty villain called cholesterol. You know, I mean, it's really, really bad, and it causes all kinds of problems, right? Well, without it, we will die. Cholesterol is present in every cell in the body, and um, it is the backbone of a lot of the sex, most of the sex hormones, actually. So without it, we cannot make adequate sex hormones. There's some theory about maybe our cholesterol levels go up in our 40s when our hormone levels go down. And the interesting thing is, is when you balance somebody's hormones, their cholesterol goes down. So I think that's a really good theory. I wish it was as easy, too, if you look at pregnenolone at the very top, that you could just give pregnenolone and balance all our hormones. But there's cofactors and enzymes in each one of those reactions, and we don't know all of them. And so it's just not that easy. So it's important to get an overall picture of your hormones and get them balanced appropriately. Um, I already talked about progestins versus progesterone. And remember, progestins are what's usually in birth control pills. So it's not just medroxyprogesterone acetate, but a lot of the other synthetic progestins too, which are in birth control pills. So progesterone uses, um, I'm going to let Carl go into this one because he's got a story to talk about um, with postpartum depression, but go ahead and talk about some of the progesterone uses you've seen in your practice, Carl. Yes. So I've definitely used it uh, for uh, helping people with PMS, endometriosis, you know, monitoring their uh, their, their lining and, and actually seeing the use of progesterone and watching that uh, lining decrease as the longer they use the progesterone. 
uh, fibrocystic breast disease. Uh, again, folks, uh, a, lot, a lot of the women have said, wow, this has made a huge difference in how they feel. Uh, again, uh, decreasing uterine fibroids. Have a patient from uh, University of Washington uh, that uh, I think her specialist over there wanted to put her on some highly expensive uh, progesterone-based product. And I said, well, let's let's do the bioidentical progesterone and see how you respond. And she has done great. Uh, PCOS, oh my goodness, that is a huge number out there in terms of females that suffer from this and they suffer needlessly. And the more we can become educated about how bioidentical hormones, optimizing thyroid can help reduce that, you will have patients coming to you left and right uh, requesting this kind of treatment so they can actually normalize their lives. Irregular excessive bleeding, uh, seen that uh, just uh, be optimized or really get uh, more to a regular bleeding. So again, for females, uh, they want to have a life. They don't want to have a week or two weeks out of every single month uh, where they're having excessive bleeding. Uh, luteal phase defect. Uh, tell me what you're thinking about there, Sean. Well, a luteal phase defect, we see that a lot when um, women are having a hard time conceiving. So, and progesterone spikes in the luteal phase, so the last half of the phase um, of the cycle, um, progesterone spikes, and that's usually when women, and that's when progesterone needs to be high enough for women to conceive. So, and I have seen women go to fertility clinics and spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And the doctor never checked their progesterone level. Right. And remember, right. what does progesterone mean? Progestation. And they go to um, a provider like Carl, and Carl checks their progesterone, put them on progesterone, and within two months, they're pregnant. This didn't just happen once. I know the handful of times this has happened. And that's why it's important to educate yourselves and your patients about what is going on with hormones and, 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 and not be ignorant about them. Right. Postpartum depression. Uh, you know, when I went to that conference and came back uh, and said, wow, I could use progesterone to help prevent uh, postpartum depression. Uh, that was huge. Now, I know there's a very uh, expensive synthetic drug out there. I think it's uh, $24,000 to $26,000 if given uh, immediately after birth for five days. Or for the, the, the folks or the patients that I've used it on, it's high doses of bioidentical progesterone orally, and then I slowly taper them down over the course of several weeks. And again, I only have an N of two in terms of experience with it, um, but both of those ladies have just said it was by far their best delivery and postpartum experience they had ever had. Uh, and both of these uh, female uh, patients, I think had four or five, uh, this might've been their fourth or fifth child and they did not experience any depression wonderful story yeah i've heard that i've heard that um many times too carl if you think about it it makes sense progesterone levels are really really high especially third trimester in pregnancy and then all of a sudden they go down so we shouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of changes in mood Here's the wonderful thing about bioidentical progesterone. If dosed appropriately, really the only side effect is slight to moderate drowsiness. If it's a little bit too high of a dose, it can have a feeling of breast fullness or like breast tenderness. Um, but that is not super common. Is that your experience, Carl? Yeah, yes, I, I would say that the biggest uh, uh, compliment I get from a lot of patients is I'm finally getting to sleep. And that's, uh, that, that's, that does wonders for patients. Right. And look at the side effect profile of synthetic progestins. Notice um, thrombosis in, for synthetic progestins. Is there a reason that, they've, that there's an increased risk of cardiovascular accidents when you take Prempro? Doesn't, shouldn't be surprised because medroxyprogesterone acetate can increase that risk. Progesterone does not. Look at that side effect profile. Straight out of the PDR, straight out of the package insert. So Carl talked about endometriosis, and um, we do know that progesterone decreases the proliferation of uterine tissue. So how many women can you think of in your practice um, may have had been told that they needed a hysterectomy because they had endometriosis, and if they were given progesterone, their endometriosis might have gotten better. Same thing with fibrocystic, 
fibrocyst, um, uterine fibroids. What is that? It's too much estradiol causing proliferation of tissue with not enough progesterone. Give them progesterone, those go away. Um, fibrocystic breast. My wife had fibrocystic breast. She had fibrocystic, she had uterine fibroids. Both those went away when she went on progesterone. Here's, I like to use this slide because um, it, progesterone works with estradiol. So estradiol helps us to hold water. Progesterone acts as a natural diuretic. Think about what estradiol does with bones. It decreases osteoclast formation, so decreases the breakdown of bone. Um, os uh, progesterone increases osteoblast formation, which will increase new bone growth, so builds new bone. They work together. That's why I think they should always be given together. And I just kind of talk about that a little bit there. Um, we'll go ahead and move through that slide pretty quick. Um, Medroxyprogesterone acetate does not work on the bones like progesterone. Um, progesterone dosing, just real quick, um, 50 to 300 milligrams. I like oral progesterone. Um, and the reason I like it is because it is metabolized into 5-allopregnitolone through the liver when you swallow it, and that has a side effect of slight drowsiness, which can be a huge benefit. Some women will say that the first night they took progesterone, they slept better. Um, sometimes it'll take a few days. It can also um, help for um, some women that are having hot flashes also at night. Um, I like the SR, again, sustained release, slow release, so it releases slowly throughout the night. There is a commercially available product that is um, immediate release, and many women will say that they'll wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and will have a hot flash that doesn't, and they'll go on the sustained release, and um, usually it will fix that problem. Transdermal, I... We could talk all at least an hour about transdermal hormones versus versus um, oral hormones. Um, I've seen a good response with transdermal progesterone. Some people haven't. I work with a lot of providers, being a compounding pharmacist, that like transdermal over oral, and so I could argue both sides of it. Um, our, I would normally recommend oral to start with, but it doesn't work for everybody. So transdermal is another option. Testosterone. What if we had a drug that could decrease depression, increase energy, increase libido, increase muscle mass, decrease weight gain around the middle, um, decrease cholesterol. Uh, let's see, what else, Carl? Wow, and just uh, in terms of, oops, sorry. Carl's a mute, yep. Carl, unmute, mute. Can you message him? Carl, we can't hear you. There we go. Okay. There we go. There we go. Okay. Go no, uh, testosterone. Look what it's done for my hair. I mean, it's just, <laughs> um, no, uh, testosterone in terms of its, it benefits uh, quality of life, uh, lowering cholesterol, um, you know, just, uh, you know, the energy level. And then, you know, of course, the increased sex drive, you know, men like that. So do you know, women, women as well. So. Absolutely. And speaking of women, yes, women have testosterone also. It's very, you know, less testosterone than men, of course, but women need testosterone also. There's a lot of benefits to it. Um, go ahead. Next slide. So testosterone dosing, we could speak all day about testosterone. I think uh, there's just so many benefits of, of having your testosterone optimized, male or female. Um, so with men, 100 to 200 milligrams of cream applied, applied um, daily underneath the scrotal area. Scrotal area is great thin skin, um, good blood flow. Also, you have less risk of transferring to somebody else, like if it's on the upper arm or chest area. Um, our pharmacy actually, actually, I'm sorry, our study, I, my brother and I did a study on absorption of um, testosterone scrotally. It's the only study I've ever seen with this uh, scrotal testosterone. And it's short absorption over time, one hour after application, two hours, six hours. And we didn't publish the data um, yet, but 12 hours and 24 hours also. Um, and what it, what it really shows is that you get great absorption, which that's, we were not surprised because that's what we were seeing clinically. And um, you don't get high peaks. And that's what I like about transdermal testosterone over injections because injections, no matter how small the injection is, you are going to get a peak afterwards, a higher peak. What 
our study showed was that it provided a more consistent delivery of testosterone without a high peak. What happens when you get high peaks of testosterone? You get aromatase it get aromatized into estradiol. It gets um, through 5-alpha reductase. It gets um, uh, increased into uh, converted into DHT, which can cause some prostate issue and maybe male pattern baldness. Um, so I, I'm a big believer in transdermal testosterone, and it creates a diurnal variation. If somebody's doing once a month injections or even twice a week injections, that's not how our body produces testosterone. Our body produces testosterone in a diurnal variation, meaning highest in the morning, slowly going down throughout the day. So that's what I like about topical delivery is it does that. Um, women, usually four to 10 milligrams. I like testosterone vaginally. Testosterone, there is no better hormone or drug for that matter. There is a commercially available drug now with DHEA in it to help for vaginal atrophy, but testosterone is much better, I believe. Why? Think about testosterone. It's an anabolic hormone. It makes things grow, including, um, so it helps for vaginal atrophy. It can help for bone density, all those things, okay? Um, I'm not going to go into the other options much about inject uh, pellets and oral, but those are options. We can discuss that in a in further further uh, in a different time. I always talk about biosynthesis of hormones because, and there again, I just generalize hormones. But what we're normally talking about are sex hormones, and they're usually made. They're usually the sex hormones are made in the testes or the ovaries, but we also have hormones made in the adrenal glands. Cortisol being one of them. Um, also, DHEA being another one that's made in the adrenal glands. Um, I talked about the, the, the cholesterol backbone already. But it's important to know that different, different glands produce different hormones. And some of them produce a little bit of both. But um, it's important to know so you can differentiate those. Go ahead. DHEA, I just mentioned that. It's producing the adrenal glands. Helps us respond to stress. Um, there is a commercially available product that women use for vaginal atria I talked about. It, it's in the androgen category. I don't like it called an androgen because when we call it an androgen, it's like we limit it to, to, to men. Um, and, you know, women need DHEA also. DHEA is converted to testosterone, um, although at higher doses, and it depends on the individual. Um, from what I see, most people, whether it be male or female, that need testosterone also need DHEA. Uh, it, it has a lot of the same benefits as testosterone, but it has more adrenal support, so it will um, support us during stressful times. Uh, here again, sustained release versus immediate release. I already talked about it. So DHEA dosing, men, 50 to 100 milligram. Women, 10 to 25 milligram. You know when they get too much, when they get acne or oily skin. Uh, and you don't typically see that in those doses. Carl, what do you have to say about DHEA? Yeah, I, I would say the same thing in terms of uh, DHEA, adrenal support, and, and how I've used it for, for men that have come in and, and they've been depressed and they want an antidepressant. And I've checked their levels. They're at 70 to 90 when really I'd like to see men optimize 400 to 500, put them on DHEA. A lot of times their depression goes away. And I have seen some men getting too much and they're, they have some acne breakouts. So then I just reduce it from, if they're on 100, I just reduce it down to 50 or reduce it by half. Yep, yep, right. Okay. Melatonin, um, I think we, we know, uh, all of us know a little bit about melatonin. helps us sleep at night. It is inversely proportional to cortisol. Cortisol is our stress hormone producing our adrenal glands. Should be high during the day and low at night when our melatonin should be high. Um, but if it's not, you can take extra melatonin to help regulate sleep. Again, SR formulation. Um, melatonin can be widely dosed, meaning start at like one to three milligrams and um, go up to I've seen people go up to 50. I don't necessarily recommend that. I don't think, I think there's other issues if you go up that high, but um, usually once you get to 20, if it's not going to work, it's probably, if it's going to work, it's not, it, it, it would work by 20 milligrams. If not, then it's probably not going to work. Um, or until you get vivid dreams. My dose to get vivid dreams is 12 milligrams. And yeah, mine personally is uh, 20 milligrams. Is it really? Good to know. That's really good to know. Okay. Low thyroid symptoms. Thyroid is so important, and when you look at a lot of those symptoms, depression, weight gain, decreased libido, um, fatigue, high cholesterol, 
also symptoms of low testosterone. So thyroid and testosterone um, symptoms mimic each other, low symptoms mimic each other. So it's important to balance both of them. Thyroid's pretty, uh, I, I just was going to say that and I shouldn't say that. It's, it is not simple, but it is a simple molecule, but balancing your thyroid is not simple. I talked about T4 already. Let's talk about T3. T3 is just like T4, except it's got three iodine molecules instead of four. Now, the, the most important thing about T3 is T3 is the active form of thyroid. Now, when I say active, that's all relative. It's not that T4 doesn't have activity at the thyroid receptor. It just doesn't have as much activity as T3. So, it's very important to check T3 levels. We'll get into that when we go into case studies. Oh, back. So poor thyroid function. Um, wh what can cause poor thyroid function? Well, if you're not making thyroid hormone for one, and as we age, our production of thyroid hormone goes down, just like with our sex hormones. Um, but what if you're not converting T4 to the active T3? What if you're converting T3 to reverse T3? Interesting trivia there. Reverse T3 is high in mammals when they're hibernating. So if you have somebody that has a high reverse T3, it's no wonder they have weight gain. They have no, they've got no energy. They're, they're sleepy all the time, things like that. Um, I don't think it's necessary to check reverse T3. It's a very expensive test. You have to send it out. It's interesting, but the treatment is still more T3. So, but it is interesting. Increased binding. Like most hormones, thyroid can bind to certain proteins in the blood. And when it binds to thyroid hormone binding globulin, um, it can't work at the receptor site. So it has to be the free levels of T4 and T3 that are working at the receptor site, specifically free T3. And if it's not free levels, then they're not going to work at the receptor site. So it's important to check free levels. Hashimoto's is where your body produces antibodies to thyroid. Um, there's some diet issues that you need to address and some other inflammation issues there. Um, more T3 and kind of treating it aggressively is probably the, is, is, is in the short term is, is the best treatment. Do you have anything to say on that, Carl? I would just say, yeah, more T3, but then also figuring out how to, to dose it. So maybe someone you have to have half of it in the morning, the other half at 2 p.m. You're just changing the pharmacokinetic profile of it. Correct. Correct. Um, what are the factors that, that decrease conversion of T4 to T3? Well, mineral deficiencies for one, selenium. We need selenium to make that conversion. We also need iodine, um, copper, B vitamins, all important. Medications that decrease the conversion and, and even in, and mostly increase the thyroid binding so it's not working at the receptor site are um, estrogens, birth control pills, prednisone, um, also Cortisol, which is a lot like prednisone, cortisol. So if your stress hormone is high, you have increased binding and your thyroid won't work as well. Other factors, aging, alcohol, and stress. Cortisol, there it is. So testing thyroid function. You know, for years, the gold standard was TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. Um this is kind of a paradigm shift when you think about this because it's the gold standard it has been for years, but realize that there were many years. Armor thyroid, porcine thyroid, came out in the late 1800s um, and we were using it to treat people's thyroids in the late 1800s, early 1900s. We didn't really have any thyroid testing until the 1960s and even the TSH that came out then really wasn't really any good until like the 70s when they had a more sensitive test. So realize that we treated patients with thyroid issues before there was testing. We used symptoms and history um, along with physical exam. Do they have any kind of goiter? Um, do they have low thyroid symptoms? And give them some thyroid. And if they responded, they would um, you know, increase their dose, decrease their dose based on symptoms or based on side effects. So Labs are a tool to go along with symptoms and history, regardless of what the hormone is, but especially on thyroid. Um, so in TSH, it is not a thyroid hormone. It is a pituitary hormone. This is an analogy I like to give. Monitoring thyroid therapy with TSH only is like monitoring testosterone therapy by monitoring somebody's FS, FSH or LH. Those are pituitary hormones. It's not testosterone. So why is the gold standard TSH? 
Um, why is it not the actual hormones, free T4, free T3? Carissa available thyroid, Synthroid, levothyroxine, many generics available. It actually was a number one prescribed drug in 2016. Cytomel is liothyronine. Um, there's generics available of it. The problem with T3 is it has a short half-life, anywhere from one to five hours, depending on the patient. So if you give it in the morning, it can wear off in the afternoon. So um, Armour Thyroid was the first thyroid uh, ever developed, and it is literally porcine thyroid, which is literally ground-up pig's thyroid. And it, it works for many, many patients, and lots of patients. Uh, one of the disadvantages is it is, it is pig thyroid. Um, for those patients that want stuff natural, Armour Thyroid is the only natural thyroid that's on the market. Levothyroxine, liothyronine are not natural, even though they're bioidentical. Now, and Armour Thyroid is not bioidentical because there's things in there that are not natural to humans, but it is natural. Um, another problem with it is it's, it's immediate release, so it doesn't last all day long. So like Carl says, you might have to give them a, a dose in the morning and then a half a dose in the afternoon when it wears off. Dose it twice a day. Um, another disadvantage is because it's from pig thyroid, it does have an odor for sure. Patients with Hashimoto's disease that have a, that are producing antibodies to their thyroid already, this might increase the um, antibody production if you give them Armour Thyroid. So dosing, um, Armour Thyroid, I didn't put that on there. I should have, but Porcine Thyroid. There's also Nature Thyroid is another, uh, is another brand name of it. Is anywhere from a half grain to three grains, depending on the patient. Um, when it comes to, we can compound thyroid at a compounding pharmacy. I like um, to do a combination of T4 and T3. The nice thing about that is, is we can do it in a standard release capsule and we can change the ratio of T4 to T3. Whereas in armor thyroid, you can't change that ratio. It's a set ratio. One grain, which is 65 milligrams of porcine thyroid, ground up pig's thyroid, is equal to 38 micrograms of T4 and nine micrograms of T3. So, um, and if they need more T3 only, or, you know, when you give them an extra dose, they get more T4 and T3, and they don't always need more T3. So, um, go ahead. Oh, Carl, what do you want to say on thyroid? Thyroid, I, you know, just in terms of, uh, you know, again, the dosing, uh, uh, I think making sure the adrenal, endocrine, nutritional system are all kind of working synergistically, and, and that's going to help the thyroid work more effectively. So it's not, you know, again, we all know this, it's not just focusing on one system. You have to really complete all systems to make it work effectively. That is so true. And I appreciate you saying that, um, you know, our, our bodies work, these hormones work in symphony with each, other, with each other. So you can't just balance one of them and expect all the others to get better. And when you think about what our bodies do as far as hierarchy of glands, adrenal, Thyroid, sex. Okay, without our adrenal glands, we will die, period. Without our thyroid, we can live without a thyroid. Um, maybe not optimally, but we can live without a thyroid. And we know we can live without our sex hormones. Now, not very optimally. But so really in the hierarchy, adrenals have to be addressed before right. any of these others will be optimal. So adrenals, thyroid, um, sex hormones in that hierarchy. Vitamin D, I just want to mention something really quick about this. Vitamin D is, has a cholesterol backbone. It is a hormone in itself. That is why it's so important. Most everybody is low. Most everybody is not optimal, especially in northern latitudes, especially um, in the winter. But even when we go out in the sun and we're supposed to get sunlight, um, we use sunscreen and we cover up because we don't want to get sunburn and skin cancer. So if there is one supplement anybody, you can tell your patients to take, it would be vitamin D at optimal doses, five to 10,000 units a day or 50,000 units once a week comes in right in the middle of that. So, and remember D3, D3, cholecalciferol is the active D, not D2. So you might as well give them that. It is more than just for osteoporosis. A lot of, many things vitamin D helps. So when it comes to testing of hormones for a female, estradiol, progesterone, testosterone, free testosterone, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on case studies, DHEA and cortisol. So cortisol, stress hormone, um, if you're drawing blood, usually you just get one, one in the morning. I don't like necessarily just a morning um, cortisol because it, 
I'd like to see what's going on throughout the day, especially, you know, so we can see if the cortisol is following the diurnal variation, highest in the morning, lowest at night going down throughout the day. Um, saliva testing is, is more convenient to do if you want to do four times a day cortisol testing. Free T4, free T3, TSH, even though I, I, you know, even though I don't think it's a great indicator of, of how to dose thyroid hormone, I like to put it on there because it is the gold standard. And of course, vitamin D. With males, really the thing we change up is um, not that much really. Um, although you don't always check an estradiol on a, on a man, but remember testosterone does convert to estradiol. That is the most that happens more in men that are obese. So realize that. And if they, if men are dosed on testosterone, they start getting gynecomastia, um, then, you know, definitely check their estradiol levels. And there are some ways to lower their estradiol levels. Well, let me can I speak to that. Go ahead. Yes, I mean, please. Uh, has cardiovascular protection to it does protect against prostate. So, you know, there's a certain level of estradiol where it's like, Oh, that's, optimal let's keep it there as long as they're not having some of those other symptoms absolutely and i appreciate you saying that men have estradiol just like women have estradiol and we do need it for some things so and i'm gonna for the providers that are on the line um be careful with you know a man that comes in and they start talking about they want a certain kind of testosterone injection and they want estrogen blockers and if that guy is 32 or 33 years old and he looks like he's a gym rat be very very cautious i'm just warning you there's a lot of them out there and most men from what i see if their testosterone is dosed appropriately they don't need estrogen blockers they don't need a nostrazol um you know especially if they um have a proper diet and stuff so Good point, Carl. So let's go into the first uh, case study. Forty-two-year-old uh, male, female with cyclical migraines. What I want to address here is that any time you see a patient that has anything that relates to their cycle, whether it be migraines, whether it be irregular bleeding, whether it, anything that is that relates to their cycle, progesterone, progesterone, progesterone. Okay. And I can tell you, I don't know how many women I've seen that have had chronic migraines since they were teenagers. And you start asking the question and, and they just have all kinds of low progesterone type symptoms and they've had problems with miscarriages and getting pregnant and things like that. And you put them on progesterone and their migraines magically go away. And it is amazing to me how they can be sent to neurologists over at the University of Washington and have cyclical migraines. And they want to put them on some fancy medication, give them CT scans, give them MRIs, and they don't look at progesterone levels. Do you have a comment there, Carl? Oh, yes. I've seen patients go over there and get Botox treatments. And yep. again, no hormones are being looked at. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So check hormones. When, anytime anybody has a cycling issue, So here's uh, another one. Cycle is becoming more irregular. So what are you thinking there? Progesterone gained 15 pounds over the last year, mostly around the middle, 49 years old. Um, hair is thinning, decreased libido. Hair thinning, what is that? Low thyroid. Decreased libido, low thyroid, low testosterone. Decreased energy, low thyroid, low testosterone. Depression. So what do we do? We start on citalopram because she must have a citalopram deficiency because she's depressed, right? Why is she depressed all of a sudden when she's 49 years old and her cycle is becoming more irregular? Let's think hormones. Let's not think giving them a conventional drug. Let's fix the problem. Don't treat the symptom. Recent diagnosis of high cholesterol. Started atorvastatin. And remember what I talked about, high cholesterol. Thyroid helps lower cholesterol. Testosterone helps to lower cholesterol. Feeling aches and pains around the middle what do, or around the neck and shoulder area. What do we give her? Hydrocodone and acetaminophen and gabapentin. So realize that some of those aches and pains might be caused from that atorvastatin, which causes a lot of muscle pain. So check hormones. Patient is currently taking levothyroxine, 0.1 milligram. This is very common to what happens with somebody that's on levothyroxine. And you know what? I will say, I don't know the numbers, but a lot of patients will do very, very well on levothyroxine alone. The patients that we normally see have not because they've tried those conventional methods. So they will go see somebody like Carl so he can um, properly address all their hormone issues, including their thyroid imbalance. I'm not going to use units when we talk about lab testing today just for ease of, of, of um, talking about it, but um, testosterone level, 15 to 70 is normal. 
it's 17. So on the low end of normal, her TSH is 2.9. The um, two to five is normal. So her TSH is normal. Her thyroid's fine. Her free T4, 1.5. Look at that's on the upper end of normal now. We see this a lot with patients on levothyroxine alone. Her T3, it's normal, but it's on the low end of normal. And so her free level of testosterone, free is important because total level um, doesn't include what's bound up at the receptor site, not working. So um, the total testosterone versus free testosterone is very important. Um, so the recommended treatment is uh, testosterone, two milligram cream applied once daily vaginally. Add some T3. Her T4 is fine. So add some T3 SR, 15 microgram capsule. Recheck levels um, in eight weeks. Think about DHEA. Think about adrenal support. Um, you know, converts to testosterone. Anytime anybody has a cycling issues, we didn't look at her progesterone. I just, but I always wanted to mention it. And this patient would probably do better on progesterone. Um, but anytime there's a cycling issue, you've got to think progesterone. Um, and progesterone helps to normalize sleep or help, helps to support sleep, normalize cortisol, can decrease night sweats. If, if they're not sleeping because their cortisol is too high or the progesterone is low and they're not sleeping because of hot flashes or because of whatever reason, none of that other stuff is going to get better. That's basically um, you've got to get them sleeping. Do you have any comments there, Carl? No, I, and I was just thinking uh, to myself just how, you know, really beautifully complex this type of medicine is, and it's really not for the weak and faint that just want to simply prescribe medications because, again, you have to know all these uh, complex systems, but what a difference you can make in the lives of your patients. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. I have a passion for hormone replacement. We have helped thousands and thousands of people with it. I believe it's the first form of functional medicine where you fix the problem instead of just treating symptoms. And um, there are so many disease states out there that we prescribe stuff in traditional medicine for all the time that if patients' hormones were balanced, they would not need those medicines that cause side effects. And not only do the hormones not necessarily cause the side effects, but they have other benefits also. Eight weeks later, her free testosterone is 5.1, a little bit high. Her free T3 is 4.6, a little bit high. Free T4 didn't move. TSH is down. Um, she has no symptoms of high testosterone, so no oily skin or acne. So don't get too freaked out over a one-time high number. Um, remember, we treat patients. We don't treat lab levels. If she's feeling great, don't worry about it. Same thing with the thyroid. How's she feeling? Let's not worry about that number of the 4.6 for the T3. And realize this, if she took her dose first thing in the morning and she took her labs at 2 o'clock or um, at two hours later, at 9 o'clock in the morning or whatever, um, those levels are going to look high. If you want them, but at noon, remember, testosterone, or, uh, T3 has a short half-life. At noon, the level will be down to like three. So don't get too concerned about a, a one-time number like that. Remember, when we draw somebody's blood levels, it's a snapshot in time and a very small snapshot in time. So it's important that providers know um, how to interpret lab levels appropriately. Order the right labs and interpret them appropriately. And, and that means timing of the dose and, when the ha and what the half-life is. So um, she feels much better, increased libido, cholesterol is lower, pain levels are decreased, losing weight, more energy. We see this all the time in patients. So her cholesterol is down. Can we stop atorvastatin? Remember, it can, it can cause muscle pain and weakness. Um, is her citalopram, can we stop that if she's not depressed anymore? That usually takes sometimes up to six months, but can these antidepressants cause decreased libido? Absolutely they can. So if we can take away two drugs from her that decrease some side effects, why not do that by balancing her hormones? Treat problems, not symptoms. This one is a very, very common one. We see in our pharmacy, our most popular prescription is S-trial vaginal cream. So we see this all the time. And unfortunately, they're usually not in their 50s. They're usually in their 80s when these symptoms are starting to get really bad. So 55-year-old UTIs requiring ER visits for one year, history of urinary incontinence, vaginal dryness causing painful intercourse and marital issues, total hysterectomy at 49, um, due to uterine fibroids, we talked about that already. 
Symptoms started after symptoms started after stopping HRT one year ago because she heard it was dangerous to take HRT over five years. We know this for a fact that that um, people that had took HRT that that stopped their HRT during the WHI study back in 2002, um, urologists saw a, an increase of all kinds of urinary incontinence issues, um, urinary or bladder atrophy issues, urinary tract infections because they weren't taking HRT anymore because it was dangerous. Look at your medication list, or so they said. We'll talk about that. Medication list: nitrofranatoin um, daily for UTI prevention, causing yeast infections. Um, oxybutynin for urinary incontinence, causing drowsiness and dry mouth. I mean, all the other side effects that oxybutynin can cause. So, family practice doctor, we see this. This is this is wrong. Family practice doctor prescribed lidocaine gel for painful intercourse and told her it was just part of her getting older. I mean, that's that's horrible to think about that. So, why this woman didn't have symptoms? these kind of symptoms before menopause. So let's think about this, people. When you see somebody with urinary incontinence or you see somebody with UTIs and they're in their 50s, you got to think, why didn't they get them in their 30s? It, they didn't lack ditropan. They didn't lack nitrofranatoin. They lacked estrogen in their 50s. You know, So think about that. Treat the problem, not the symptom. Um, family doctor did refer her to urology. You're all just prescribed uh, estradiol vaginal cream. And this, we see this very commonly. It's super expensive, not covering our insurance. So then that doctor um, contacted us and, and um, prescribed estradiol vaginal cream. Here's the amazing part. Follow-up in eight weeks, vaginal dryness cleared up. UTIs cleared up in four weeks. Um, six weeks later, follow-up, urinary incontinence resolved. It's amazing. I mean, it's unbelievable how many lives we have changed with this drug um, and how long should she continue it? I mean, that's a good question. And we get this from provider. We'll, we'll get this from patients. They'll say, so how long should I be on this drug? And I'll tell them, well, you're not going to magically start producing your own estrogen again. So if you do not want these symptoms to come back, you will use this the rest of your life. And here's what I tell them. How long would that doctor prescribe the nitrofranatoin? How long would that doctor prescribe the oxybutynin? For the rest of their lives. So why shouldn't we give them estrial vaginal cream for the rest of their lives? Carl, do you have any comments there? Oh, yeah, huge. I mean, I, I think about uh, the elderly uh, population I serve in a lot of these adult uh, family facilities. And early on, used to get frequent phone calls for urinary tract infections. And then I just started putting all these patients on once to twice weekly and it's probably been three or four years since I've gotten a phone call from a caregiver saying, you know, Mildred has another urinary tract infection. It's, it's amazing. It's, mm. it's unbelievable. And unfortunately, I'll see sometimes not with providers like yourself because you understand, but sometimes the urologist will say, well, your symptoms are cleared up, Mrs. Jones. You don't need to be on this anymore. And we're just like, well, okay, well, we'll see you again in a couple of years, I guess. So, I mean, it's something that you should just stay on the rest of your life if you want those symptoms to stay at bay. Go ahead. Um, so here's a, here's a pretty common one. 45-year-old um, female claiming of depression. And I know we're going to try to wrap things up here quickly. I wanted to be out of here in an hour. Um, depression, cycles more irregular, progesterone, progesterone, progesterone. Um, muscle aches all over, hot flashes, especially at night. Um, the great thing about hot flashes is they're easy to get rid of. Usually you can get rid of them in about seven days. Um, look at our medication list. Sertraline, depression, started a year ago. Um, Lovastatin, started a year ago. Um, Zolpidine, started a year ago. Insomnia, started last month. Venlafaxine, I love this one. Venlafaxine, Effexor, for hot flashes. Well, now, 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 that, wait a minute. We know that lack of that drug is not causing your hot flashes. It's lack of estrogen and progesterone. So why do we prescribe that drug? And by the way, that drug is like crack. Getting off that drug is horrible. You got to titrate it off slowly. I would never recommend that drug for hot flashes, especially. And Fosamax. Started Fosamax because she's got low bone density. Hormone levels come back. Testosterone 25, kind of in the middle of normal. TSH in kind of the middle. T4 low, free T3 low. Estradiol low, progesterone low. Shouldn't be surprised with her symptoms. So patient sees hormone specialists like Carl, progesterone 200 milligram SR, bias 0.5.5 SR, 
oral testosterone, two milligram vaginal cream, um, T4, T3 combination, and SR capsule. Follow up in eight weeks, her hormone levels come back um, in the optimal range, cholesterol lower, insomnia better, depression resolved, hot flash is gone in seven days. Check bone density in one year. She can probably go off Fosamax. Little note on Fosamax. If you guys didn't know, you need to know. Um, Fosamax is originally prescribed to increase bone density. Does it increase T? Does it change T scores and make the T score better? Absolutely. Does it build new bone? Yes, it does. That's how it changes the T score. It is brittle bone though. And if you don't believe me, um, but if you've been to a dentist and you fill out the form, they will ask you, have you taken Fosamax? Are you taking Fosamax? And if you have taken Fosamax, they will refuse to pull your teeth because what dentists found out is that people that are on Fosamax, when they were pulling their teeth, they would shatter their jaws. So Fosamax does build new bone. It is brittle bone though. Remember, what do they lack? They lack estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Testosterone is an awesome bone-building hormone. So think about hormones, not Fosamax for osteoporosis. And how long would they keep somebody on Fosamax? For the rest of their life. And think about those medications that we could stop for those five medications she was on that we could probably stop if we get her hormones balanced. Life-changing. You have any comments there, Carl? I just, uh, the last time I was going to say is in term, in, instead of bone scan, I would check an NTX or N-nucleotide peptide uh, serum level. Quest and LabCorp probably had that. That's another oh, way. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah. Okay, this is our last case study, 52-year-old male, um, erectile dysfunction, weight gain around the middle. This is so common. Depression, decreased libido, increased cholesterol. All symptoms started within the last few years. Wife recently had her hormone balance and refers him to the same doctor. This happens so commonly. We fix the wife, and then the wife wants her husband fixed. I warn women about that all the time, which I love it. I mean, that's what we should be, right? So what does he prescribe? Um, Sildenafil for erectile dysfunction, atorvastatin for high cholesterol, fluoxetine for depression, lisinopril for hypertension. Um, hormone levels, I'll just go through them quick. You know, um, not in the optimal range, especially testosterone. So we started them on 200 milligrams of testosterone, um, AM, scrotal application, and DHEA 100 milligrams, SR, um, QHS. Two weeks, um, feeling less depressed, more energy, libido's increased, erectile function resolved. Waking up with more interactions again for the first time in many years. Can work out in the gym again. Wife calls a doctor to, to report great results. Because, you know, most of us men don't report those results. So we just let our wives do it. Eight weeks later, as you can see, his testosterone level increased, DHA level increased, cholesterol down. This is, this is common. This happens all the time. Um, you know, in the future, to optimize him, maybe start some thyroid um, six months later, you follow up with the patients, lost 20 pounds, hypertension resolved, discontinued lisinopril. Look at all the drugs that we can stop if we balance his hormones. Carl, go ahead on that. Oh, I, I would just say that's uh, why a lot of uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies are not uh, happy with this whole bioidentical replacement therapy. That's right. That is true. I mean, you know, in this country, our medical system seems to be a sick care medicine, a sick care system where we want people on medication the rest of their lives for, for things that can, for problems that can be fixed. So um, that is it for my presentation. I do want to address a question that we have for somebody that is on the call right now. And she's actually a nurse. And thank you for listening in and watching. Hopefully you're listening right now. I see that you're on, Carmen. Um, so your question is about hormone replacement and kind of, I don't remember the details of the question, but I remember we get this question a lot. Um, basically, you've, you've approached certain providers about um, um, prescribing hormones and you seem to get mixed, mixed feelings about that. Um, because, and I think it's largely because of ignorance. Can you talk about that, Carl, when, when a traditional provider does not believe in hormone, hormone therapy? Can you talk about that, Carl? Yeah, I would say... It's just, it comes down to, you know, there's so much peer review related articles out there um, on thyroid, on hormones. And it's just a matter, I think back to what you said, Sean, ignorance. Uh, they haven't taken some of the coursework uh, that, uh, that I've taken, that some of my practice partners have taken. And so you just have to find that provider that has a deep understanding of the benefits from this, not just based on clinical, but also on research. 
So, and here's a, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. That's why it's important to find a provider that knows about hormone balancing. Here's specifically the question. I'm just going to read it. I am curious to find out if there is finally a better way to add biohormones related to my age, 48, and current chronic conditions. The medical staff that has seen me have been able to recommend, they've only been able to confuse me and skepticism around the testing of current hormone symptoms. So, I think that answered your question, Carmen. You can also get a hold of us, Carmen, if that didn't answer your question, we will answer more. So, so that wraps up our presentation. I appreciate you all for, for listening in. Um, went a little bit over an hour. There was a lot to pack in in one hour, but we appreciate you listening. We are going to be emailing you an evaluation. On that evaluation, please be truthful, be honest. Also, recommend what you would like to see uh, again, or not again, but in the future, if there's topics, because uh, we can definitely speak on it, and um, we will talk to you later. Great day. Thank you. Thank you.